Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of Racing with RK. It's been a while, a couple months anyway, since I've had a podcast for a couple of reasons. One is some of you know I sell health insurance for a living, and from November through December is open enrollment, so I stay very busy. But adding to that, in the late November, right after Thanksgiving, I contacted COVID. So that kind of set me back as well. So I kind of uh, got behind on, on getting the podcast together, but we're back uh, starting up again now with episode 18. And boy, we got a special guest tonight. Before we get to our special guest, I want to uh, remind you all, hit, hit up my website, racingwithrk.com. I got some cool stuff on there, all the podcasts, some great historic karting videos, some wonderful photos, and also check out our new advertiser, Carol's Orphanage. Many of you know Carol Geddes from the uh, the WK. She's one of the the uh, the faces, I would say, of WK. Her and her husband Bobby and Marie have all been there for so many years. And Carol has an orphanage in Kenya, and she's always looking for support. So uh, check that out on the website, racingwithrk.com. And uh, we'll move on to our special guest tonight. We have got a very interesting young man that I've known for a real long time, and I'm just thrilled and honored to have him on the show with us. Uh, Matt Jaskell, welcome to Racing with RK. Hey, Randy. Thanks for having me on, man. It's good to hear. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it's great. Great having you here. And I always like to start from the beginning. So, Matt, let's let's take it from the beginning. How were you introduced to karting? Well, so um, as people that know my racing career in life, I've lived in Las Vegas almost my entire life. Um, better part of, you know, 30, 30 going on more than 30 years now. And uh, at the age of five years old, uh, I started out in motocross and, you know, we were kind of a gearhead family and was racing motocross, uh, doing desert race, motocross, you know, races um, all over California where I was born and a lot in Las Vegas. What was kind of cool is I was actually racing at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway years before. Um, well, I mean, yeah, a couple of years before the NASCAR oval actually got built, which is crazy to think there was just it was um, just a dirt bike track and they had a small go kart track that had been been there since uh, I think like the very very early 90s or even like the late 80s possibly 89 1990 so I was racing I'm about 10 years old it's about 1995 still before the the NASCAR track would even be built yet and uh, I got injured I got injured racing motocross um, I, I had a really bad concussion I was racing against guys I was at the same track during some like the the super nats of motocross at the time was called the world mini and it would be held in las vegas every year coincidentally enough and some of the guys there were travis pastrana ricky carmichael bubba stewart and so they, i mean these guys were much faster than i was but i was still on the track at the same time with like bubba stewart and stuff like that and uh, testing for that big race i got injured and my mom wasn't really happy about it. You know, she, she loved that I was racing, but the, the motocross scared her. And my uncle Chuck, uh, you know, still with us today, you know, amazing guys like 85 years old, still, still doing some vintage carts in his garage, Chuck Shaver. Um, and so he, uh, he was a ninja builder in Las Vegas and I had some, you know, some friends out there and they said, Hey man, why don't, why don't we get you over here to the go-kart track and put you in a cart? Um, it was, it was the process of trying to get me out of motocross. And so I actually went over to the cart track in my motocross gear and everything and, and didn't race, but I drove my first cart and I didn't like it as much as motocross, but I was like, all right, you know, I'll consider this and, and actually uh, started doing both at the same time. So you found out four wheels, uh, ultimately four wheels was a little, uh, a little bit more secure than two wheels. 
it was, you know, and it, and it did come easier. Like, I mean, at 10 going on 11 years old, I mean, I was a, a, I would say I was a very mindful young man. And I think a lot of people who know me would agree, uh, you know, I wasn't your typical, I was, I was beyond my years and I was a little, maybe a little bit too mindful. You know, I was, I was, you know, always analyzing things a little bit more than, than most 10 year olds and thinking about the future. And, and I was, even I was obsessed with being an athlete, even at that age. I mean, I was, I was working out and training and, and, you know, I, I read magazines and Jeremy McGrath, who I, you know, was an idol of mine. You know, I, I looked at everything he did fitness wise. I didn't drink soda or sugar. I, mean, I, was, I was, I was, let's just say I was a bit obsessed, right? You know, yeah. A bit, yeah. A type personality. Well, and there's a, there's a fine line between being obsessed and just being committed to the sport. And sometimes we yeah, cross there you it, go. right? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, so you got to the, uh, to the sprint track and that kind of transitioned from motocross then into karting, which uh, certainly karting is better for it that you did. Uh, you think back to, and I'm sure you probably remember, but your first win in a cart. And, yeah. And share, so first... share a memory of that. Okay. Yeah. So my first win, you know, wasn't anything really big. It was at the local uh, the uh, Las Vegas karting club track. And again, what was kind of crazy. I mean, I was, I was very lucky. I mean, we, we, I didn't come from a, a wealthy family, but my dad was just a hardworking man on his hands and knees, you know, hardwood floor installer, had his own small business in Vegas, but I was very privileged where I was racing motocross and go-karts at the same time. And my parents even said, listen, we can't keep this up. You know, we don't right. have the money to keep this up, but you better pick something. You know, you got to do something. Else. You got right. you better you better choose your path. And I'm only 11 years old. And they're like, you better choose your path, you know. And and man, I would tell you what, dude, I was terrified sitting on the gate of a motocross race. But ignorance is bliss a little bit. When I sat in the go-kart, I didn't have that same fear. It was definitely more secure. You mm -hmm. felt safe. You felt safer. Right. And you know, I'd like to say I was a natural. I took at it really fast. So I was racing against some, some really fast local hot shoes in Vegas. And within like, I think only two races at the local track, I won. Wow. And yeah. And, and even I was like, Whoa, Hey, this is cool. I like, I like that. I like winning, you know, and, and it's not as scary. And, you know, I, as much as motocross was still my passion, I looked at my parents and, and I said, and we, they'll tell you, I had, we had this funny sit down and they're like, Hey man, you know, you got to choose, you know, we'll keep supporting you in racing, but, but you got to choose, you want to stay, you know, motocross or carts, which what's it going to be. And I literally said, I go, you know, carting and four wheels has more of a future. So I'm going to go there. there <laughs> Cause go. I was, I was watching some of my, some of my, my idols, right. Uh, something really cool because he ended, he ended up going on to like race the Indy 500 a few times, but I watched Jeff Ward um, retire yeah. in motocross mm -hmm. and I, I'm watching and I was watching some local talents that were like chosen guys. And I watched one guy break his back. Yep. I watched one guy get a compound fracture. And, mm -hmm. it, and when you're a young freaking 11 year old, that scars <laughs> you a little bit, man. Sure. And it was, I mean, sure. I, I watched this guy, his brother ended up making it to Supercross, a guy named Kyle Partridge, who I'm still in contact with today, which is awesome from the 90s. But his brother freaking landed on his back broke his back and i saw him in a wheelchair and i and yeah. it's and it, it scared the shit out of me i was like yeah. i don't want to i don't want to do that so i'm gonna go i'm right. gonna go do four wheels <laughs> i uh my my all-time favorite nascar driver is ricky rudd because ricky came through karting and kind of lived my dream because you know i went through karting but then my racing career stopped ricky's just evolved but ricky started off a very similar path i don't know if you know this but he was he was a motocross racer and, and eventually ended up uh, enduro racing was what we called it back then. 
was yeah. very good at it and then just kind of transitioned over. He might have done some motocross after that for a little while, but got into cup and then had, you know, obviously a great career, but um, it's a good transition. And I think I, I, you know, from Jeff Ward is a good example and obviously your success, but it, it, uh, it, I think treats you or, or teaches you uh, a lot of, uh, you know, like you said, commitment, uh, you, when, when you get out of a motocross with all the wear and tear in your body, you get into a go-kart. It's like you step out of a, a Mack truck into a Cadillac, you know, it's, it's probably as smooth as can be compared to what you've been used to. Oh yeah. Totally different world, man. Yeah. And like I said, Oh man, there was something funny when I was only like 10 years old, I was walking down the stairs at our house and my knee gave out and, and I was a big country music fan back then still kind of <laughs> a little bit today. And there was that song that was like, I'm too young to feel this damn old. I think it was yeah. Brooks. And, yep, and I, yep. and I literally said to myself, I'm 10 years old, you know, yeah, but everybody right. always said I was like, I was like a 30 year old at the age of yeah. 10. But, but I said to myself, I'm like, man, I don't like this. I'm only 10, man. And I'm, I'm sore and beat up. And yeah. I was like, yeah. motor." And I was, you know, I was moving into like the expert class in 60 junior and I was moving into the 80 dirt bikes, you know, right. you know, again, moving, moving along the path of like Ricky Carmichael and guys like that. And I was pushing hard, but I still wasn't as fast as some of these other crazy guys. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I feel like I'm on the ragged edge right now. I can't imagine going that extra bit, you know, and I just, I didn't yep. have it. I didn't, I didn't have what it took to go that extra bit in motocross yeah. and and, or, or the problem is I had too much mentally, you know, it's like yeah. a lot of these, and I, I was friends with a lot of these guys and I, I would, you know, I mean, for better or for worse, I'd even make fun of them. I mean, I was like, man, I tell my parents, I'd be like, I don't know, man, some of these kids are missing some marbles, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you had to be, you, you had to be a little bit, you know, you had to be a little bit crazy or you had to be lis missing something mentally a little bit to, to go hit these like 80 foot triples oh, yeah. at 12 years old, you know, <laughs> the, the worst, the worst thing. I think, especially like in a motocross is when your courage outweighs your talent and you do right. things you're not capable of because you think it's going to be okay. And that's uh, some, I mean, and some of these guys are so good. They just don't crash. And, you know, Pastrana is the benchmark for that, but my gosh, some of the crazy stuff they do is uh, and, just and, out of this world. And like I said, I was privy to it, man. I'd watch yeah, my, yeah, you know, right. I watched my cousins get hurt. You know, I watched, you know, teammates get hurt and I was like, right. and, and they were getting hurt by doing jumps that I didn't want to do. Right. And it, it was getting to the point where, you know, my dad, my dad was very balanced. He wasn't like a little league dad, but he still was aggressive. You know, he pushed, right. he right. wanted you to, he wanted you to be the best. So, so he would, you know, be out on the track and be like, come on, you need to hit this jump. And then I'd watch a guy come up short and get hurt. And I'd look at my dad and be like, screw you, man. I'm not doing it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. There you go. Well, I first met you when you started racing the constructor series. And I think at that time you started off with SSC and Joe Ramos. Am I right on that? Nin 1998. Yeah. There's yeah. kind of a motor. There's actually kind of this motocross connection of how I got. Oh, that. is that right? Yeah. Well, it's actually. So uh, this is yeah. kind of a twofold topic because I want you to touch on Joe and the relationship he had and, the, and just the yeah. gentleman he was. And also a little bit about the constructor series. I had Keith Freeber on a while back. And of course, Keith had such a passion for the constructor series and, and the, you know, the American tradition of bringing the Margay and running against the European uh, chassis and drive, you know, the top drivers and all those. I mean, we could, you know, when you look at the, at the graduation list of the constructor series, it's incredible. We got Indy 500 victories. We've got NASCAR drivers. Uh, it's, it's just IndyCar champs. Uh, and just, just amazing. Uh, Scott Speed actually started off in the constructor series and went on to formula one. So, yeah. but, but tell us a little bit about the constructor series and your experiences and your relationship with Joe Ramos and, and, and certainly the motorcycle connection of getting in with Joe. 
yeah, you, you'll be interested in this. So, so let me just say this though, Randy, like you will, you know, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you will always have such a big impact, you know, in my life because the constructors cup championship is what is what launched my career and not just in karting, just as a, as a human being, I try to explain to people as a, it, it shaped who I am today. It was one of the most intense, you know, championships it, it, you guys, what, you know, it's so sad that we don't have it anymore because that was just to me, the, the golden era yeah. of karting in America. It was like bringing formula one. It was so intense. It was so professional. Yeah. It was so cutthroat. Even it was just, yeah. it was, it was it, simply, amazing and i know you know that and i hope you know it had such an impact wow, on my life that, you know that you have no idea what that means for you to say that matt and i will tell you our goal with the constructor series wasn't to have 20 classes and 700 entries it was to have a core group of classes and nothing but the best drivers in those classes and until some other things happened that started pulling teams away from us to go to other series we had that and i, I think when you were racing it you saw that and you experienced it, man, you came away with a constructor series win. You did something. I won a championship, man. It was one of yeah. my biggest, it, it's still, even, awesome. though it was in, even though I was, even though I was a child, I was at 14 years yeah. old. It was 1998. Yeah. It will always be one of the biggest championships. That's in my awesome. life because I was, I was racing the best drivers yeah. in North sure America, you man. Yeah. Yep. You know, and with it, I was teammates with Patrick long for God's sake. You know? <laughs> yeah. He did. Okay. You know, and, yeah. And I went to the North American finale championship. Oh Yeah. In North Carolina, where I yep. locked up the championship, and yep. I'm sharing the track with Nico Frickin' Rosberg and Lewis yep. Hamilton, and That's Jensen right. Button is there, and dude, it was just, it was insane. I remember yeah. just, yeah, and I remember in 1997, I think it was probably Colin Fleming potentially. Uh, you know, I, I mm -hmm. was racing Colin, against him. Yeah, Colin was and strong. Yeah. And it was every detail though, that you guys did in the constructors cup all the way down to just like the championship rings, you know, like I remember yeah. oh, seeing yeah. one in 97 and I was like, Oh my God, I have to have one of those. And I did it. I did it yeah. a year later, you know? Well, so I, yeah, it was, I was always big about giving you guys the gratification you deserve. So if you remember, <sighs> we would yeah. have those parades and we would make everybody leave the pits, drop what you're yeah. doing, get to the fence. Yeah. And we would, cause that was your fans, even though it was all, you know, part of the teams and the families and the friends or whatever, those were the fans. And you guys would walk along the fence, they'd all high five you. And yep. and I know it made you guys feel special and you deserved it. And that's what we strive to do with the constructors when we could. I will tell you what, I mean, it, honestly, man, I could get emotional sharing stories of what I, I remember standing at some of the bigger races, like, you know, you know, at um, let's say Illinois, like Norway or mm -hmm. at Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, we're racing inside the NASCAR track, which, oh, is, yeah. Yeah. you know, Charlotte was almost like Indy, you know, it's like, it was That's like right. Holy Grail of NASCAR, you know? Sure. And, sure. and so to stand there and when you guys did the parade, I, I could tell you, like, I felt special. I felt, uh, you know, I felt different than, than anybody, you know, I'd come yeah. home and go to school and I, and I felt like, man, nobody understands, you know, the kind know. of things that we're, no. that we're pursuing, you know, you were, I always said you guys were the stars and, and you were, yeah. and we, and we, we tried our best when we could until it, as I said, until, until other things distracted teams. And when the teams left, the drivers left and that's, that was yes. the end of that, but right. uh, just, it's just the way life is. But uh, tell us a little bit about Joe Ramos and you and Joe were, where, yeah, uh, so you, you raced together and, and and I just I remember Joe, I'm telling you, I don't care how bad it was when you come up, he had a smile on his face. He may be ticked at you and you may know real quick he was ticked at you, but he still had that smile, you know. 
Yeah, man, I learned a lot from Joe. You know, he was he was like um, you know, like a Chip Ganassi, you know, of karting, you know. Right, he was right. he was he was a big deal, you know. And and I got to tell this story cuz it's it's interesting. So so come so living in Vegas, I was I was connected and sponsored by by a famous Vegas guy. He he owned a motocross shop. He was, you know, even in the motocross world, the guy's still famous today was in he was a um, you know, like a like a just, you know, leader in the industry. He created one of the very first crusty demons of dirt videos which was a famous like motocross video and oh i gotta and, look know, this he one was, up <laughs> yeah oh yeah crusty demons of dirt it was actually right. because because ssc the shop was in crusty demons of dirt number two we're talking this was before the freestyle era it was a really wow. really big deal in so, motocross you know so ssc was actually a cycle shop before it was a cart shop yeah, well, not motocross, but so so again, follow me here. It's, it's it's very intricate how everything you know ties together. So so karting was was going off. It was starting to blow up, you know, like in the '90s, right? So in right. in in shifter carts were becoming a big yep. deal, yep. and all the all these crazy guys, motocross guys, they were all buying shifter carts, even if they weren't racing, they were buying them just to go play with them, you know. And so SSC was based out of Palm Springs, California. As a lot of people know, they were a motorcycle, not motocross, but like a motorcycle Harley shop up in Seattle. It's okay. SSC's, SSC stood for Seattle Speed and Custom. So many people oh, don't even darn. know that even today, you know? No. So so uh -huh. the, the, the owner of SSC, which wasn't Joe, um, he lived up in Seattle. Um, and and so, so they had this... Um, you know, they had this shop and then it, it, it's kind of crazy how it turned into like a carding thing. And they had so so SSC owned the CRG importer ship and obviously CRG being one of the biggest, you know, chassis manufacturers in the world, even today. And so SSC was the North American importer of CRG carts and they had their own little go-kart team. There was a lot of money back then coming out of Seattle to support this go-kart team, which had some of the biggest names in karting, like Colin Fleming and, and, you know, uh, Patrick Long and, you know, Darren Elliott, you name it, they had everybody. So, so I'm racing in Vegas and we, my dad and I realized like, man, we have to get on a, on a national circuit if my career is going to start moving forward. So we decide, okay, we got to do the Constructors Cup Championship. And we realized we can't do it alone. It's just not, it's just not feasible, you know? And, and I was already driving a CRG chassis. And so my motocross sponsor who owned a motorcycle shop in Vegas, who was famous in the industry in Vegas, he was a dealer for CRG carts for SSC. He was selling CRG shifter carts to, and he was like one of the number one freaking CRG guys because he was just connected to all the money, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and as you know, we had one of the biggest go-kart tracks in the country. We had the, the cart, you know, the, the, um, the X-Plex, you know, where, oh, where yeah. quite a few, yeah. you know, quite where all the super nets were held for, you know, right. many years and stuff like sure. that. Sure. So, so anyways, that's what I mean by it's so intricate and interconnected. So I'm racing at that track in 97, 98. I'm, you know, I'm still connected to my motocross sponsor and he did. It's, it's kind of dirty. It's crazy how, you know, like even in my early years, I started realizing like, wow, this is, you know, kind of dirty stuff. So we went to CRG and I had no name. Uh, they, nobody cared or knew who I was. And we went to CRG and asked if I could get on as a get a support deal if i could just be a support driver not mm -hmm. a fully sponsored driver but could i get on with the team and have the team travel my equipment since it was a full-blown national championship the constructors championship right and and we didn't have the money to like trailer to everyone and we needed trackside support so we're like hey can we get 20 percent off can we get pit space and crg turned me down they said nah you know we're not interested wow. so 
so we go to my sponsor and we tell him, Hey man, we tried to call CRG. They, they won't take me. They're not interested. And he goes, really cool. Let me make a phone call. So he calls. And I believe at the time, I think he called Joe Ramos. And and again, this guy, his name was Steve Abbott. This guy was the number one seller for SSC on the West coast for selling. Okay. This this guy was just selling shifter carts. like So Joe answers when he calls Joe answers the phone, right? Yep. Yep. So, so this guy, Steve Abbott calls Joe Ramos or Kelly. It might've been Kelly bolts at the time, which was the owner of SSC's son. So he calls and goes, Hey, so yeah, I got this kid, Matt Jaskell. He's my boy. He's going to be the greatest. And if you guys don't put him on your team, I'm going to stop selling your go-karts. Okay. <laughs> and, and we're not kidding. I mean, it wasn't like a joke. It wasn't funny. It was like, Hey, if you guys don't put Matt yeah. Jaskell on your team, I'm going to stop selling your go-karts and I'm going to go with Ren speed. Or it was actually, he yeah. was going to go with a competitor right. full on literally pulls a power play. Like, wow. so, like, he loved me so much. He believed in me. This guy was awesome. like, you know, he's, he's yeah. still like an uncle today. And he was like, oh, I'll get you on this team, Jaskel. Don't worry. Yeah. And, and I remember my dad and I just being like, oh, my God, this is crazy. My dad and I were both very passive, you know, a little bit more yeah. mild mannered, you know, yeah. not very pushy. And and never we never were those type of people. So when that was going down, we were just like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And, <laughs> and to have SSC go, OK, have them give us a call, you yeah. know, and and they did. They put me on the team. So that's awesome. And, yeah. So long story long. So I go to the, you know, I start doing the first races and now, Oh shit. Now I'm leading the championship. You know, yeah, you, de- you delivered, you delivered. Yeah, and I, I delivered. Yeah. And there was yeah. this amazing guy named Doug drew, which a lot of people will probably never remember. Uh, Doug drew was also in the motocross game, but moved over to go. He was like the, he was the team manager, you know, kind of oversaw all the logistics okay. of all the travel. And he took a liking to me and that, and then, you know, then I started getting the attention of Joe Ramos, you know, and, yeah. and, and the people that were important. And then we, we freaking go on to win the championship, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. And, and it was kind of like a, it was kind of a little bit of a, of a Cinderella story. I came on the championship as an underdog, as, as, you know, you know, I'm racing against guys like JJ Langan and, and Colin Fleming and people that yeah. were, were definitely the guys that should have won the championship and I, and I won it, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so that, that's what I mean by it. It just jump started and launched my career yeah. was, was doing that, you know, and, yeah. and being, being with a team like Joe, with Joe Ramos and everything, I I'll never be able to fully explain how many times I had moments of just like, wow, this is, this is, is it, it was like, yeah. I don't know. It was as close you could do as being on a NASCAR or IndyCar team. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was first class from the time he got to the, to the event till he left. I mean, it was the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the team was set up, you know, the, the tent, everything, it was just immaculate and every driver was competitive. Everybody. He there. was such I mean, a love, he was such a loving guy, man. Like there was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he he just he was just happy and right. he'd always have he'd always put his arm around you, you know, if you had a bad race, he was the first one there to give you a hug and yeah. and, and I mean you, you could have like the most devastating thing just happen and he you know punch you in the shoulder and just be like he was like a grandfather, man. He yeah. was, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> two of the toughest competitors you ever faced in a in a cart. If you had to name Ooh. two, who would they be? Gosh, um in a go-kart. Yep. You know, Randy, that is such a tough question because I would say that it would, there's, there was different times and era, you know, um, gosh, that is a really tough one. I had some of my most intense battles with, I would probably say, God, that's so tough. Um, I'd say Gary Carlton 
would be right up there, man. Oh, that's a, you that's know, a good one. Yeah. Like, like I'll tell you this, there was a time where the guy wasn't anywhere near me, you know, like he, he was, I was up front and he was kind of struggling, you know, just yeah. outside the top five. Right. And then there was, that's what I mean by era, you know, and then there was a time where it was just like, boom, then he and I just went, you know, no, you know, head to head to head for like two years in the stars of carding game, you know? Um, so probably I would say him. And then in the early years, Oh gosh, man. Um, let me think about that for a minute. You know, it, it, it would be some of the usual suspects, but you know, there was a few guys that I could never beat, you know, um, Colin Fleming comes to mind, yeah. you know, I mean, he was, Colin was like, always strong. He was always strong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and some of these guys do, they just had it nailed down. You know, they had been doing yeah. it longer than me and they had the motor packages down right. and stuff like that. But it, it's dude, t- carding is such a tough game because, you know, I would say that there wasn't in, in, since I've been carding for so long, there was never anybody that was like crazy dominant. It would go in ebbs and flows. Right. right? You know, right. Like, right. There would be, there would be these fast guys. And then all of a sudden after a couple, it was almost like formula one. And then maybe yeah. they'd get on the wrong chassis or the wrong right. program. And then they'd be out of the game and like, car, yeah. car, nobody will ever realize how freaking difficult carding is, man. Oh, you missed the setup by just a, just a hair. And you know, you lose a couple tents uh, on the field and, and you're, you know, you're battling to make the race. Yeah, yeah. The way it I is mean, now, especially, it's so competitive today. Oh my gosh, the difference between first and twentieth is just, you know, a blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. There's, there's, you know, because there's some guys that I, you know, if I'm just being completely honest, there were some guys that just had the equipment. You know, they were fast, mm-hmm. but they had the equipment. Right. As far as like raw natural talent, like they always had, even if they didn't have the equipment that day, they were still going to be fast it's hard for me to pick out those names because they're far and few between, to be honest. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I can, I can see that. Well, as we, as we transition from karting, one of the things you got into in your later years was driver coaching. Yeah. And you had a unique experience with a young man that came to you with, I, and if I'm, if I'm correct in saying this, look very little, if any experience, and you kind of took him as a raw prospect and, and got him into karting and, and kind of honed his skills. And that's Alexander Rossi and kind of, kind of take it from the beginning. And obviously we're going to get into where he wound up, but tell yeah. us about your introduction to Alexander Rossi and your driver coaching at that. I will. Let me, let me backtrack one more second. Cause I have to mention a couple names of some of my really yeah. epic battles. And we, I think we forgot that, you know, I raced for Paul Tracy for a number of years in karting and my teammate, uh-huh who I didn't like at all. We, we hated each other <laughs> was a, was AJ Allmendinger. Oh, and AJ. Yeah. Yeah. As sure. much as I, as much as I hated him, yeah. man, we would bet, man, he was, you know, I, yeah. it was one of those things where, and I had some epic battles with him and Scott speed in like a couple of super. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where man, we're talking hundreds of a second and you're just yep. like, you're literally just driving as hard as you can, man. Sure. There, yeah. So anyways, I just had to mention that because yeah, so you're looking, that. yeah, that's, that's some fast company. You're looking at a formula one driver and, and Scott pretty much has, has been successful in anything he's been behind the wheel on and, and to, yeah. to, to, to the equipment he's been made available <laughs> to him. Let me put it that way. Cause I think he's, he's been in the wrong place at the right time, so to speak. He's had opportunities, but the equipment wasn't there for him yet. Had he been given right. the and, right opportunities in those places, he would have gone further, but that's, that's in the history books. But 
you know, you right. look what he did. I, I remember him in the Red Bull car at Daytona leading the field. And I'm thinking, what in the world? He, he was leading this big pack of cars and never blinked when he didn't belong up there. That car was not that competitive, but he could, he could get it there. You know, I mean, he was, he was a great, is a great talent. Yeah. He, uh, you know, I would say Scott and AJ are two guys that, you know, like Scott, I would say had everybody covered uh, for a couple of years on the equipment, uh-huh. right? but right. regardless of whether or not he had the better motors, which he did, and nobody would ever argue that he was a guy that you were going to have a hard time passing, you know, same, same as Almondinger, you know, like, so mm-hmm. those, those were two guys that, man, they, you know, they, those were two guys where I would leave the track and be like, damn it, those guys are fast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's fast company for sure. And AJ, obviously, I mean, he's, He's done well, both in IndyCar and NASCAR as well. So, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, man, going into Alex Rossi, man, what a crazy story. So, and you'll love some of these details and you might not even know a few of them, but so, so I'm only like 16 years old and this would be before I got chosen by Red Bull to be a part of the Red Bull program and stuff. And so I'm, I'm, I'm 16, barely going on seven. I'm pro- I think it's like summer of my, of my, my 16, you know, being 16 years old, and that winter, you know, by October, I would be 17, but I was working at the go-kart track, the X-Plex in Vegas. Um, I was, I was the lead instructor, which was kind of cool. The owner of the track who wasn't there, he was like the, the main owner though, was Brian Herda. Mm-hmm. So Brian Herda was the owner of the go-kart track at the time. And, you know, God rest his soul, man. Cause he was a, an important part, important person in my life, but Hollis Brown. Hollis, Hollis Brown. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Hollis ran the place and he was, he was like a father figure to me, you know, and people yeah. don't realize we were very close, you know, cause I worked for him for many years and um, I was actually sadly, you know, not to get into sad things, but I was one of the last phone calls he had ever made before oh. he passed away. Oh dear. Yeah. It was, yeah. I talked to him shortly before he passed away. And, mm. um, but anyways, tough. So I'm, I'm working there as the, as an instructor during the summer when I'm not in school. And, uh, and so a guy walks in the building, his name's Peter Rossi and he looks around and he goes, yeah. Um, you know, I, w- I want to put my kid in a, like a go-kart school, you know, for like a couple of days, who do I talk to? You know, and I'm this braces, you know, pimply face kid. And I'm like, yeah, Hey, I'm, I'm mad. Ja- I'm mad. I'm guy. Guy. <laughs> and, he, and he literally, I swear to God, man, this is Peter telling the story. Cause I didn't remember it all. Peter, you know, I don't remember it. Peter was like, Peter looked around. I do kind of remember this moment. Cause I, it used to make me feel proud and kind of big and important, you know? So Peter looks around, he was like, yeah, no. So like, is there a, you know, an adult I can talk to? <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and Hollis wasn't there, of course, because he was off doing something else. And um, Curtis Cooksey, who's a big name in karting, Curtis rented space and ran his go-kart shop out of there. Okay. So, so Curtis kind of was the adult, but he wasn't involved in the kart track operations. Right. Of course, he would help and stuff. And if you know Curtis, Curtis was like, ah, I'm busy. Don't bother me. So Curtis ran his little go-kart shop and sold parts and stuff. And I you know, ran the go-karts and the school and, you know, stuff like that. And, and, and Peter walked in and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, and I even remember being like, yeah, Hey man, I know I look like a kid and all, and I am, but I'm the guy that you talk to. I'm actually like the lead instructor here. And he was like, Oh, okay, great. (laughs) So, uh, so I said, yeah, man, let's talk. So I ended up doing a three day, 
you know, like comprehensive racing school with Alex yeah. Rossi. Okay. And Alex had never touched a steering wheel before. Wow. It was his fir- first time driving a, a, a car. How, how old was he? How old was he? He was, se- he was seven or eight years old. Eight years old, I think. Okay. All right. I think he was eight. I was 16. And, okay. uh, and he was probably just as tall as I am because I haven't grown an inch in the last <laughs> 10 years. So, so he, uh, he probably related better to you than he would have an adult. Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah. a I was a great instructor there, you know. Like yeah. I, I knew the track like the back of my hand. Uh, yeah. I had I had won a Supernats there. I had yeah. I had I had I had become the most winning driver in Supernats history as far as uh, as far as uh, heat race victories, you know, because I almost won the Super Supernats again the like two years later and had multiple podiums by it was only two thousand one. But from 98 to 2001, I had, you know, Supernats win and multiple podiums and, and you know, heat race victories. And mm-hmm. so I knew the track very well. I was I was the guy, you know, the guy to be there. And so I, I do a, a three day driving school with him. And I remember and even Peter remembers Peter will, t- will t- say it in detail, which is so cool. I tell Peter, I go, hey, man, your kid is different. Uh, and, and Alex was he was a bit you know, even today, people would say he's a bit, you know, odd, you know, almost eccentric, right? You know, in a good way, you know, just just more methodical than most and, and intellectual and, you know, a little bit reserved, almost an introvert, you know, and so he all the kid did was listen to me for for three days, he would just look at me and nod and like he hardly spoke. But he did everything I told him to do. Wow. If I told him to put the car here, he put it there. If I told him to get on the gas, he got on the gas. And by the end of the three days, I, I literally said, I was like, holy shit. Hey, this kid's really good, man. Yeah. And I look at his dad and I tell him, I go, hey, um, you know, I, I know I'm I know I'm young, but I know what but I know things, you know, I know racing and I know talent. Right. And I'm telling you right now, your kid's got talent. Uh, he's got a lot of raw natural talent. And he could go somewhere if you guys chose to go down this path. Those were my exact words. To wow. Peter wow. Yeah. Who would, it gives me chills, man. I'm like, yeah. I know who, who yeah. would know I was, I was telling that to the future, you know, hundredth, hundredth running of the Indy 500 champion, you know? Yeah. So, so I tell him, I go, Hey, you know, you should, and, but I also was very cynical even at 16 years old, you know, I'd already gone through a lot of drama and political nonsense and stuff like that, you know? And, um, and so I tell him, I go, you know, Hey, it's a tough business. You know, if you, if you, you know, I, I, I actually was kind of, you know, double-edged sword. I was like, Hey, you know, racing can ruin your life. You can go bankrupt, you can get divorced. So be careful. I was, <laughs> a, very, right. you know, I was right. a very outspoken, precocious young man, you know, I was like, yeah, but your kid's got some talent if you want to go racing. And then I actually would end up kind of mentoring him throughout the years that they would keep in touch. I actually yeah. like helped put him with one of his first go-kart teams, the Bartoleros. Like I kind of said, Hey, they would call me and say, Matt, what should we do? I was like, okay, go race this series, call this race team, Mm -hmm. you know, here, stay away. Let's be honest. Right. I was like, stay away from this guy, stay away from this team, go with that team, you know, stay away from this series, go do that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of mentored and guided them and I would get Christmas cards in the mail every year. I actually, you know, so now you fast forward, I met him in 2001. 2004 i'm racing for red bull as a formula one development driver 2005 i run into i'm still like under red bull contract and you know wasn't sure where where i was going to go with red bull eventually ended up getting let go of my contract um but in 2000 early 2005 i was doing like a little go-kart event in vegas and there he was and i have this this super cool photo of of alex he's shorter now he's a foot taller than me but he's shorter than me 
I have my arm around him and I'm wearing my Red Bull, you know, F1 development driver suit. And I was doing like clinic. I was basically doing like a driver clinic or something, you know, uh-huh. and, mm-hmm. and he, for on a race weekend and there he was, and you know, he was on his way, he was on his way in karting, you know? And, yeah. um, and then they moved to Europe. He went down the F1 path and I kind of lost, lost connection with them, but I would still get like a, a Christmas card in the mail every year. And it was so cool that they always acknowledged me as his, you know, coach, and something that was so cool, I'll never forget, when he made it to Formula One and got to do his very first F1 start as a, as a backup driver. Um, so he does his first F1 start. It was a, you know, a couple years, a year, maybe one or two years before he would win the 500 in 2016. Um, I, get, I get a bunch of messages. My phone's blowing up. My, my Facebook's blowing up. And everybody's saying, Matt, Alex Rossi, they, they just did a special on him. Uh, you know f- about his first start in Formula One, and they showed a picture of you and him. And oh like, man! What? Yeah, so uh. I had this screenshot that everybody said it didn't even say my name. It just showed me kneeling down with him in the go kart at the school, and I'm wearing the Xplex, you know, like like yeah. you know polo shirt, you know, for for Hollis and Brian Herta, and and it, there's a photo on on Formula One broadcast of me sitting with wow. Alex. I'm like, God, that's yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I, that's, and that's pretty that's, sweet. That's, I'll definitely yeah. take that as an honor, you know? And yeah. so, so now you fast forward, we go, now I go to the Indy 500 in 2016 with, again, I had not spoken to the family in many, many years. You know, we lost touch essentially. He went off and became a great driver and, and here he is getting ready to do this first Indy 500. And I'm hanging out with some of my best friends, crazy long story. Like I met, I met them in the nineties. He used to be a tire changer for Sam Schmidt in 1999 when he won his first IndyCar race. I'll tell you all about that. So anyways, I went there to go be with my best friends who coincidentally works for Andretti Autosport as a tire guy and a truck driver. Oh, okay. And, and he works on Marco's car and they invited me out and they said, Hey man, we know you don't really want to be here. It's the hundredth running, but you got to come. We want to see you. The kids want to see you. And I was like, okay. So I literally didn't have credentials. I slept in the semi truck the night before the race to sneak in to the hundredth <laughs> running, I swear to God, man, like uh, it, you know, even even with the connections I have and stuff, I couldn't get a pass. I couldn't get a yeah. credential for the for the hundredth running because it, I kind of waited too long. Yeah, and so so I snuck into the track with my friend in the semi truck, slept in the semi, and then just walked into the garage area and just chilled in the garage area, and then. To knowing that I would be able, I always hustle my way. I was like, okay, once I'm inside, I'll be able to hustle a pass. I'll probably get some, you know, I'll tell a friend that I don't have one and they'll give me a spare or something, right? So there I am. And Peter Rossi walks by me, doesn't even recognize me. And I say, hey, Peter, how you doing? And he goes, Matt, Matt Jaskell? Oh my ah. God, what are you doing here? It's so wow. cool. Oh and and oh. just like that, and he goes, hey, have you talked to Alex? And I go, oh, dude, I haven't, he wouldn't even recognize me. I haven't seen him in, in you know, eight years. And he goes, no, you got to come, you got to come say hi to him. Oh. And this is just a couple hours before the Indy 500. Oh so my gosh. Takes, yeah, dude, unre- freaking, un- nobody would ever believe this story other than racing or thank God, you know, it's all documented and, you know, Peter <laughs> and Alex, but yeah. what a crazy story, right? So, so Peter walks me in the garage. And Alex kind of looks at me and, and, and Peter goes, Alex, it's Matt Jaskell. And, and, and Alex was so cool. He's like, oh, my God, my first coach, you know. Yeah. And then they start introducing me to all his friends that are standing oh, wow. around. And, and they're like, yeah, this was Matt's very first or this was Alex's very first driver coach, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and then Peter starts telling Peter, 
it's so funny because Peter goes, oh, by the way, Matt, I, I got an invoice I need to send you for the couple million dollars I've spent. <laughs> right, exactly. This is all your fault. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're the one that told me to do this, man. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. so we're having some laughs and everything. And and then and Alex or Peter goes, so so what are you doing here? And I go, oh, man, I'm actually just here with my friend Grant, who's, you know, just works on the team. And then they go, so you're not here like with a driver. And I go, no, not really. I'm just here to see the race. And they go, well, you you need to be with you obviously need to you know be with us. So they go and grab me a jersey. Wow. They put a shirt on me. And they're like, you, oh. you got to be you, this. This is meant to be. You got to be oh. here for us. You know, oh my gosh. dude, unreal. Right. So so I stand with Peter Rossi the entire race with a headset oh, on. Oh my god. And as Alex crosses the finish line, I grab my head and I look at Peter and we both start yelling and we're like, are you effing kidding me? Are you effing oh. kidding me? Yeah. And I, and I stood there with him the whole time. Oh. And uh what was so cool actually one of my one of my best you know bros to this day is is uh is James Hinchcliffe. Uh -huh. And you know we had some really great battles together in junior formula cars and stuff. So so I actually thought, I thought James was going to win it. I really mm -hmm. actually, I even picked James to win it. I mm -hmm. was like, James is going to do it. And when he almost did, I literally looked at Alex's dad. And this is, I just have to be honest and transparent. I looked at Alex's dad. I threw down the headset and I go, I'm going to run down to his pit. Cause we thought he was, I thought he was going to win it. Oh so no! I, I run down. I freaking run down, and I and I grab his dad and his mom, and I'm giving them some hugs, and we're kind of jumping up and down, like, "Oh shit, here it comes!" Uh, and James doesn't win. <laughs> he has to do a pit for fuel. Yeah, and, every, and it was I mean, the most. I mean, uh, now, I'm sorry, but now it's kind of funny. We all just kind of put our heads down, and I was yeah. like, "Oh man!" And then bizarre. I was like, "I was like, well, sorry, I'm yeah. gonna." I'm going to go stand back over with Peter yeah. Rossi now. So, so even Peter was like, Oh my God, what a hard break. And then yeah. I stood there with Peter and I don't think anybody expected Alex to win. Cause he won it so crazily with the, you know, with the fuel and you know, the yeah. car is not even running across the start finish line. So anyways, we're screaming and yelling, we're jumping up and down. We can't believe what just happened. And, and then I kind of just like, I fade back a little bit. I fade back as if like, you know, this is not my place, you know, like I, I'm just, I'm just here, you know, and Peter grabs me and he goes, dude, Ugh. you're a part, you're a part of this. You're the reason we're here. And I'll never wow. forget that because yeah. Randy, never in my life have I cried for another driver winning a race. Uh, ever. And, awesome. and, and I stood in victory lane and I cried, um, yeah. Alicia, Alicia Hodap. She was in on victory lane area because, you know, Rob Howden stuff. And yeah. she was crying her eyes out and she grabs me and gives me a hug. Cause I've known yeah. her, I've known her for damn near 20 years. Yeah. She's like one of my best friends. And, uh, and she gives me a hug and she says, congratulations to me, you know, like this yeah. is this un unbelievable. And so I stood in victory lane, man. I, uh. I got to, I got to have, I got to drink the milk and I was like, I didn't uh. even feel like I deserved it. You know, I was like, no, no, <laughs> I actually turned it away. Like I, you know, I just couldn't believe what was happening, you know? And so, so to be a part of, to even just have a, a small piece of that, you know, I never got to race the Indy 500 myself. Right. And that's, that's always going to leave a big hole in my heart, yeah. but, but to have stood in victory lane and to be a part of one of the biggest races oh, yeah. in history, arguably the hundredth. And to say that I had a small part of that, you know, uh, is, is, yeah, um, I, is, is not unreal. so small unreal. part. I mean, I, I think, you know, the first impression of, of racing was you, 
for yeah. Alex. And if he, yeah. I mean, let's be honest, he spends three days with you and he has a terrible time. He's going to say to his dad, I want to, I want to play soccer. Yeah. Right. So yeah. and, it was more than a small part. You, you launched that career for sure. You had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and I, and thank you. I take a lot of pride in that. It's still emotional for me today. You because Pe- Peter did, you know, Peter said the same thing. He was like, Hey man, you know, if it wasn't for you, this wouldn't have happened. You know, yeah. like um, it, 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 exactly what, what you said. It was, yeah, the right time, yeah. the right place. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, you, I mean, you are an interesting guy to say the least. You sky, <laughs> you skydive. And I yeah. want to touch, I want to touch on that, but one of the most heartwarming stories I have heard related to motorsports in a very long time. And I'm just going to kind of set the table here, but about 20 years ago, Sam Schmidt was racing, is doing a test, I think, at Orlando, had a terrible crash in an Indy yeah. car in the Indy yeah. Racing League. And the end result was he, he, he's been stricken to a wheelchair ever since. Yeah. And, and you, and, you and Sam have a great relationship. Sam is a very successful Indy car owner and has uh, been very competitive last year with the two young drivers. It was an ask you an award, I think, right? Or, yep, or on the yes, team. Yep. So, so they, I mean, they were always competitive everywhere they went. So he's got it going on and he's overcome a lot of obstacles, but as you shared with me, a bucket list item for him was yeah. to go skydiving. So tell us how you took Sam Schmidt skydiving. Yeah. So again, not to go too deep into the story, but I, I think I have to tell the backstory. So I met Sam in 1998 at the cart club or I'm not even the, not the Vegas cart club, but the, the X plex on the other side of town, the big track, you know, where the supernats would be held. So I meet him in the winter into the new year of 1999 as you know, the supernats champion, young man, you know uh, you know, you know, only, only Vegas local to win the supernats at the time, you know? And, um, and so Sam would come out to the cart track and drive his shifter cart. And because I was the local kid and I was always there and I was kind of even working at the track, even at that young age, you know, um, I was, I was like pulling weeds and working. I started working on the track in, in 1998, 1999. And so as a teenager, my mom would drive me there. My dad would come pick me up. It was crazy. So, so Sam would come out there and I remember we were there at night and I would, I met Sam, you know, I was look, I looked up to him. He was a super cool dude and he was racing Indy car and, and he would try to come drive his go-kart and he was not super fast. If I'm honest, okay. you know, he was, a, he was a rat, he was a circle, he was a circle track guy yeah. and he would ask for my help. And this was the golden era again in Vegas, Patrick Carpentier, Jimmy Vassar, Alex Tagliani, Paul Tracy, they all lived in, everybody lived in Vegas, man. It was right. the place to be, you know, right, right. a lot of it was because of tax benefit, but also just because of the lifestyle. And um, so I actually, take pride in this because I coached Sam Schmidt a little bit as a 15 okay. year old kid. I used okay. to coach him at the track and would help him, uh, you know, would, would help him with his go-kart, you know, put, pick it up and down and, and tell him how to, you know, Oh, you need to do this and you do that and stuff like that. So Sam and I became friends and became like his little buddy. And then um, in 1999, I, th- this is a crazy, crazy story, man. And you'll love this. And I, I won't, we won't get fully into it, but um uh, Gary Hartman. Gary Hartman was a big oh, yeah. part of my life. He was one of my mm-hmm. very first mentors, you know, mm-hmm. and and he was mentoring me when I won the championship in 1998 Constructors Cup. He was working for CRG for SSC. Yeah. So anyway, so Gary, Gary even lived in my home for a short time. We used to help him out a lot. Um, so Gary was an important person in my life. So Gary opens up a go-kart shop in Las Vegas uh, called Gary Hartman Cart Tuning. 
and I worked at the go-kart and the, the, the cart shop was at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Okay. And so in 1999, the IndyCar race is about to happen in Vegas. I'm working at the go-kart shop and this guy uh, who was the tire changer for Sam Schmidt comes over and goes, Hey, uh, I'm looking for some guy named Matt. Sam Schmidt sent me over here to put together some like charity go-karts, like little fun go-karts for charity, okay. for a charity race. Uh-huh. And I go, yeah, I'm Matt. Just like the story with, uh, with Peter Rossi, this guy yeah. goes, yeah. So who's, who's this, who's this adult Matt I'm looking for? I'm like, I'm <laughs> right, his, right. I'm 15, I'm 15 years old. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's me, buddy. Yep. And he was like, um, okay. He's like, well, uh, Sam Schmidt sent me over here to put it to put some go karts together with you. So we put together some go karts, and then I got to, um, and that coincidentally, that guy Grant, who was the tire changer for Sam Schmidt in 1999, is my best friend who I'm talking about when I went to uh, Indy in 2016. Oh wow, so, dude, such a crazy interconnected world. I, yeah, you know, I, for they, sure. I lived yeah. with I lived with them when I raced Red Bull. I lived with them yeah. when I raced Indy Lights. Um, I met them in 1999 and they're, they're, they're some of the most important people in my life. And so, and he still works for Andretti Autosport today for Marco Andretti. So, so anyway, so he was a tire changer for Sam. I, so Sam as a gift invites my father and I to the race. And, and so we got to sit in the hospitality tent. He was racing. He was, it was the sprint PCS car and Sam wins the freaking race, wins his first IndyCar race. And I'm there as his, I'm there as his guest and um and you know really cool times there's some cool photos and videos of stuff of me being there and then sadly like you said flash you know now sam goes into 2001 and he and he you know suffers a uh you know breaks his back and becomes a quadriplegic in in 2001 later that year sam would put me in my very first indie lights test ever wow Um, yeah at the las vegas motor speedway which was very scary because sam was in a chair Sam yeah. was, you know, in a wheelchair at the time. Yeah. And, you know, here, here I am a young 16 year old man about to go do, a, you know, 190 miles an hour around the Las yeah. Vegas motor speedway. So Sam, Sam always believed in me and he always tried to put deals together for me, but I, I never had the money. He would always call me. He would always try to see if he could put something together, but we just, you know, never could put a budget together. Right. But something that still honestly bothers me to this day is I always dreamed. I always wanted to race for Sam because of my connection. You know, I always, sure. I always wanted to race for him and tell that story. We yeah. even a couple years ago, we attempted to try to put together a deal for the Indy 500, but just couldn't put together the crazy, yeah. you know, almost million oh. dollar budget. Oh, yeah. But Sam, yeah. Sam even went to the Indy Racing League for me and, and asked for permission, which we got. So, so Sam is an important person in my life. And, um, and, and, you know, may, maybe someday I'll still get to race for him in some capacity, you know, whether it's a sports car or whatever, but, but so, so that's, you know, Sam's an important guy in my life. And, and, um, so when Sam called me, uh, you know, last, just last year in the middle of a global pandemic, he calls me and goes, Hey man, so every year my kids and I, we do a bucket list <laughs> thing. Um, and Hey, is it even possible for me to skydive? And I, I got a little bit emotional and I was like, I was like, Sam, not only is it possible, you wouldn't be the first, you know, like, you know, quadriplegics do it quite often. Um, I said, so yeah, we can absolutely make that happen. And uh, yeah, man. So I, uh, I've been a skydiver now for about six years. I have about 1500 skydives. Um, I, I do now I have a tandem rating so I can take people tandem but I didn't take Sam. I, I actually didn't want to just because he was like high risk client, you know, VIP, super VIP right, high risk. Right. So I put I put him with a very experienced guy that even took my mother skydiving and I filmed the outside video. So I, I jumped nice. with them and, and filmed nice. him in the air and wow. um, his kids were on the plane. They also jumped on the same plane flight, you know. 
and we all got on the ground and man, I, I will share this. I, I got emotional. I, sure. I teared up, I teared up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, his daughter and his son, uh, Spencer and Savannah, they, they ran over after they landed and I've never in 20 years, I've never seen Sam have elation like that. You know, like he's, if, if you, if you get to, if you know, Sam Schmidt, he's very a matter of fact, you yeah. know, he, mm-hmm. you know, sure. He'll crack some jokes and smile, but, right. but he always just has this pence, you know, kind of seriousness yeah. about him, you yeah. know? And, uh, and I mean, I've even been to his private home, you know, and, and he doesn't have, and I'd never seen, and what he, the way he explained it, he was, he was so happy and he was going, yeah. Oh my God. He goes, oh my God, the G, the G forces question mark, you know, like looking at me and looking at the camera and, and he was like, that was like turn one. At, he goes, I've never felt anything like that since turn wow. one at Indian. It made me cry, man. Like to, wow. the, you know, this guy, this guy has accomplished more from his chair than he probably ever would have as an able-bodied human. You know, yeah. it, it, of course it changed his course in his life, but what he's done, the things that he's done is, is oh. you know, beyond, beyond amazing. So to share that moment with, not just somebody that has done the things and accomplished the things that he has from, from a chair as a quadriplegic, but, but to have known him before he was ever injured, you know? So, so to go that far back with him to 1998, 1999, and to share what will possibly be one of the, you know, most special moments of his life to, to, again, just the honor that I have to be connected to that is unreal. So that is, that is awesome. That is an awesome story. Well, for you listeners out there that think that, Surely this is the last surprise of the Matt Jaskell story. Well, I got news for you. It's not. Matt Jaskell's a TV star. And I mean that, I mean that sincerely. He is a TV star. He was on the show Castaways there, what, two years ago, Matt? Yeah, three years ago now, actually. Three years ago. Yeah. So so how number one, how did you how did you get chosen to be part of the castaway crew that, that went through that whole Survivor series? And then just, you know, share with us a couple of the experiences. I, the one thing I remember, and I talked to you about it before we went on the air was, I remember you posting on Facebook a couple, three months before <laughs> the TV show aired and you could make it public. Hey, something really big's going down. I'm going to be away for a while, but I just wanted everybody to know it's all good. And you look like a skeleton with skin. I mean, hey, let's, was- let- let's call it what it was, man. Pete, like I had family that said I looked like an Oshawitz survivor, which was kind of, dark, Oh my gosh. It's, it, it's yeah. like, what on earth is he sick? What, what's wrong yeah. with him? What, what happened? <laughs> so how did that all come about, Matt? And, and just tell us about the experience of, uh, of the castaways. Um, let me tell you one really funny story really fast. So a guy, a car, a, a pretty well-known carding guy now, Rob Logan. Okay. Who, who's, who's a bit of a sarcastic wise guy, you know, funny guy. And he's not really big on social media. This guy, he had no, we're, we're, we're good bros, right? Really good friends. And he had no idea that I went on this cat, that I disappeared in a jungle for three freaking months, you know? <laughs> right, and, right. and so all, <laughs> all Rob Logan sees and, and for those listening, Rob Logan was like, uh, he, he it was a pretty cool era. He was teammates with um, with Darren Elliott for a pretty long okay. time. You know, yep. they had they were they were kind of like the Michael Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello duo. They're pretty cool, mm. pretty cool duo for a while. So Rob and Rob Logan won the Supernats a couple years ago now. And so, anyways, so Rob Logan, he uh, he's scrolling Facebook or Instagram. And he sees that photo that I posted when I got rescued, you know, 32, yeah. 32 pounds light, literally yeah. out of a jungle. And right. he goes, he goes, this is what he says. He goes, oh man, Jaskel's on drugs. Dad, he was yeah, a good kid. Exactly. He goes, he goes, <laughs> no oh, damn. 
damn, Jaskal was a good kid. And then just yeah. scroll and then just keep scrolling. Doesn't even <laughs> didn't even read it. Just oh man, he went down the wrong path. That's a shame. God damn, damn it, Jaskal was one of the good ones. <laughs> he was we lost another good one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so, funny. <laughs> so a few people thought that, but but um, so man, dude, talk about a, a crazy story. And I could it would take us three hours for me to tell you everything. Yeah. So I'll so I'll try to give you the very, very short reader's digest. And this is even wilder how it's still freaking connected to motorsports, man. So, <laughs> so you wouldn't even believe this. So I get a Facebook message in, in 2017. I get a Facebook message from Dave Larson. Now, people might not know who Dave Larson is. He was involved in karting. He owned, he was part of like, he owned like an insurance, you know, like, yeah. you know, karting for, for kart racing, you know, Dave, like Dave he was Larson, his dad owned Jim products. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so, yeah, so Dave, so Dave Larson gives me a call, and 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 now let me tell you, so Dave is not or wasn't at the time not some really close friend of mine, right? Yeah, he, he, he was close with uh, Hollis. He and Hollis. Were yes, friends. yes, he and Hollis were like best friends. Yes. So Dave Larson, it was just kind of like this carding guy that wasn't a good friend of mine. If anything, I would honestly say he was like a a fan, you know, like a carding fan. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was in the carding world, but he mm-hmm. he you know he he was a um you know he you know he liked me, followed my career. He always he was always you know giving me you know giving me words of encouragement, and I'd only see the guy once or twice a year. But he but I I like you know I was like oh this guy is awesome you know i don't i'm not really close friends with him I, I barely know him but i just see him a couple times a year and he's always like you know always always rooting for me you know he was just a, a right. supporter you know and um so he he reaches it so again it's kind of odd because he's not a some close friend and i'm actually while i'm talking to you randy i'm bringing up the facebook messages because i still have them so <laughs> may may 16th no, that was wow. 2014. He wrote me just to say hello or something. So, so March 14th, 2017, Dave Larson writes me and goes, Hey Matt, something came across my desk and I want you to take a look at it. Please call me. And I got to, I got to admit, man, I, I, I was going through a really hard time. Uh, my mother was suffering mental illness. Oh. I was, I was dealing with my, my father was barely two years into recovery from open heart surgery. Oh I'm, my gosh. I left my my left my career at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway as the chief instructor of a racing school, and I take over my dad's wood business. My life was kind of upside down, you know, yeah. and I was going through a really hard, really difficult time. And I'm taking care of my family. I'm taking care of my mother, my father, my brother, even, and I'm just I'm going through some hard times. And um, but even then, I'm a you know I'm a tough guy. I was you know I was I was still working. I'm busting my butt. I'm working driving i'm just trying to make money to take care of my family you know and um take care of my parents so so he writes me and i blow him off i completely ignore him. oh no (laughs) i just don't i'm like dude i don't have time for this you know like i just don't even want to talk i don't even want to talk to him so i ignore him and he writes me again and he goes hey matt this is what came across my desk that i want to talk to you about the producer is a friend of mine and she asked if i could recommend somebody so now i look at it and it's like a casting call you know, yeah. for a, for a show, for a TV show. And I yeah. look at it and I, and I'm reading it just like this, Randy. And I'm like, tell your life story, ultimate courage of survival. What if you were, what if you were stranded on a desert, deserted Island without food or shelter? What the, f- now I'm not, I was like, yeah, eh, wrong guy. Yeah, I right. Like, so I literally look at this. I'm like, what is this stupid shit? I'm not into yeah. this. Right. And, and I go, Hey, sorry, bud. I actually just got off. I just walked off of a job. I was working on a driving gig. I was like doing some gig for 
Kia. I go, Hey man, I'll give you a call in a minute just to be a nice guy. I call him to tell him like, Hey dude, I'm not interested. No way. That's right. Yeah. And I was very bitter. I was going, like I said, I was going through a really tough time. Just wasn't having any, I was very short tempered and I was just kind of like, man, I'm just not, I'm just busy right now, man. And so, so he, he talks to me and goes, listen, this woman is actually dating my son. She's kind of like, you know, like my, like a daughter-in-law and she's, and she's a, she's a, a TV producer. And, and this is actually like, not some little thing. Like this could be, end up being like a big TV show, big network. Would you at least call her? Yeah. And I go, Oh my God. Okay, buddy, I'll call her. Yeah. So I call this woman and we have basically a little talk on the phone and I'm kind of an ass. I was just like, listen, lady, you know, I'm a busy guy. I got yeah, a lot going yeah. on. You know, and I start telling her that, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, I just, I, I was like, listen, lady, I, I went and got a pedicure like last month because I was just, you know, having a rough day. You know, I was like, you know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just like, listen, I, I'm a city guy. I, yeah. You know, I'm just, I'm, I, you know, I take really good care of myself. I'm a hardcore athlete, you know, like I'm not about to go live in a jungle, you know? Uh, right. Yeah. Sorry. Just not going to happen. Yeah. You got the wrong guy. And she knew how to play at my ego, man. She literally, uh, she was like, Oh, well, you know, you're just on a list. You know, we haven't like chose you or anything. Yeah, and this, right. she knew how to get under my skin. And so <laughs> then it instantly, it turned into competition. I was like, Oh yeah, oh, yeah. let me see. Oh yeah. Right. yeah. I'm not, I'm not on the, I'm, I'm just yeah. on the list. Well, I'm not good <laughs> enough, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I mean, she like totally gets, you know, totally gets at my ego. And then she was like, listen, you're not chosen. You're just on a short list. It, this could be something that could change your life. You know, it, there's a big, big vetting process. Would you at least do the Skype interview? And I was like, okay, fine. So the <laughs> Skype interview was three and a half hours. Wow. She, they, they literally wanted me to divulge every detail. They, she goes during the, the interview, it was like a, you know, a recorded video interview that was going to end up being presented to ABC, to the president of ABC, the casting team and everything. Right. So, and I didn't, knows abc at the time she goes she goes okay start at age five tell me your whole life story and now this is right after alex rossi just won the indy 500 so there's right. a lot of you know cool crazy stories in my life at the yeah. time and, and 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 you know and as much as i haven't been racing full-time in years i'm still racing the supernats once or twice a year you know or i'm still racing the supernats some car races i'm still staying relevant you know trying to stay in the right. stay in the racing world and um so I tell her my whole life story for about three and a half hours. She's crying. Sometimes I'm crying. And she was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. She goes, I'll, I'll get back to you. So she calls me not even, not even 48 hours later and goes, okay, listen, it's ABC. It's a big network. It's going to be, it's going to be the biggest TV show ABC's ever shot, but it does involve you surviving in a deserted jungle <laughs> Island for up to, for up to two months without food or shelter. And I was like, Whoa, lady, I'm, I'm telling you, I told you I do the Skype interview. I don't even know why yeah. I did that, but you just got, the, you just got the wrong guy, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, and it was a bad time in my life. I'm taking care of my mother, taking care of my father, family business. And I was like, I can't go disappear in a jungle for two months. You're crazy. Um, so, well, I mean, of course, uh, we all know what happened. I decided to go do it. So right, right. why, why Randy, there was many reasons. Like I went to my, I actually went to my mother first and I knew, I knew for a fact that my mother was going to say no. She, yeah. again, suffering mental illness. I had her right. in and out of hospitals. It was very mm -hmm. sad, very tough, you know, and, and my mom relied on me. She was having a lot of hard times. I was like, there's no way she'll let me disappear. She'll, she can't do it. So I, I almost as an out, like as a, as a way, as an easy out, I went to my mother to explain to her what was going on and, and see what she thought. And she looks at me, gets a little bit emotional and she goes, 
I think this is something you need to do. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, that's not the, that is not yeah. the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> so I was like, wait, what? I was like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait, what? You want me to what? So, uh, <laughs> so I was like, uh, okay. And so then I was like, well, I guess I better talk to dad about this. So, so I'm running the family business. There's no way my dad can have me, you know, he can't take care of everything on his own. So I tell my dad, Hey dad, so ABC wants me to go live in a deserted jungle Island and tell my <laughs> life story for like two months. You know, what do you think? And he was like, Oh man, gosh, I think this could be something great. You might need to go do it. And I was like, Oh, oh God, no, what's, what is going on here? <laughs> so funny. So I had decided, I told my parents, listen, I am going to do this adventure as an adventure. Uh, there was really not any money involved. There was a very, very limited amount of stipend money, you know, that would pay, you know, pay a few credit card bills and stuff. But it was more or less like, hey, you know, let's, and I'm being completely honest. I was like, well, hey, maybe it'll get my name on a, on a TV show and get my story out there a little bit. Yeah. Maybe I can parlay that into like, you know, I don't know, finding some sponsors, getting into a race car, just, you know, mm -hmm. tell them, share my story, which is pretty mm -hmm. unique, you know? And um, so that was kind of what my motivation was like, okay, you know, I'll go suffer in a jungle for, I said, listen, and I even told production and I go, guys, I'm really sorry. I, I hope you guys aren't mad when I quit. You know, you guys got, <laughs> you guys got the wrong guy, you know, yeah, like I, yeah. I'm not going to, my health is more important to me than a yeah. TV show. I'm not going to get emaciated for a TV show. Yeah. You know, I, I, I said, I'm probably going to be here for my goal is to maybe make it like two weeks and then I'm going to go home. And what was so funny and what, what I learned about myself, you know, and there's so much to it and it's very emotional but I learned that I didn't believe in myself as much as others around me did, wow. you know, and, and wow. I didn't see, I didn't see in myself what others did. Yeah. You know, I, I knew I was not going to make it. I knew yeah. I was going to quit. And now something that I have to share also, they filmed our lives at home for yeah. six weeks before doing the show. I, I remember seeing some of that. Yeah. Right. So the whole point was they wanted to document. It was basically a document. It wasn't a game show. Whoever people out there listening who never saw the show, it wasn't, it wasn't a castaway or it wasn't, you know, survivor Island. It was a documentary about human transformation. It was right. truly let's take individuals let's watch them suffer and watch how they change as human beings. And we'll flash back to their, their lives at home right. and document that human change. I mean, it was a pretty, it, um, it was, it was a pretty emotional show, you know? And, yeah, and I, I think what, what they did is they, they allowed the viewers to get to know you and the other characters. Oh yeah. On a personal or, or level even, before they really got too deep into the whole survival thing. And then they would loop back. Don't forget this is the guy that did this, or this is the girl that had that or whatever. Oh yeah. My gosh. And she's look at her now. Right. You know? Yep. And even more important, Randy, they wanted you to think that you knew these people. So they wanted, they wanted to lead, they wanted to lead you on. They wanted to lead you on and make you think that you knew who I was. Yeah. But then at the end, you see what my, my motivations in life yeah. really are, right. you know, and, right. and that's what made it kind of that gut check emotional thing. Sure. And, yeah. and, and man, Randy, nobody will ever understand what it was like. I mean, what, what I went through mentally, oh, physically, I, I can't imagine. And, and how we didn't know what the purpose of the show, Randy, I didn't realize that it was like this therapy starvation hunger games meets lord of the flies you know it was it was, <laughs> right. it, was tr it was truly right. a social experiment you know right. and and something pretty 
pretty unbelievable. And for those, you know, not to keep the tension for those watching, I, I made it. I made it to the end. Oh, and listen, I remember you swimming across a river pulling like a backpack or something. It wasn't a river. It was the freaking ocean. <laughs> it, was a, but, it was, I was swimming from one island to another. And well, yeah, okay, way to the ocean. Yeah, but it's one island to another and it was far. Yeah. And it's it like, was, what yeah. are you doing, Matt? No, go back, go back. <laughs> Dude, yeah, and, and nobody will ever understand how real it truly was. Like, I didn't, th- like, so, you know, listening to some of the, you know, the quotes that I had, which was pretty amazing. Like, they, you know, I said, I was going to die where I was sitting, so I might as well die trying. And everybody asked me, why did you make that swim? You you might not have made it. And I was like, well, I wasn't going to make it where I was sitting, so yeah. I, why, not, oh, why not go? Was, why not try, you know? That but was some serious stuff right there, dude. Let me tell you. Something something pretty pretty emotional was before the show started, one of the producers, he was uh, – the, the, there was two main guys. The guy who created the show created a loan on History Channel. So it was, you know, it was done by some pretty big-name producers and stuff. And, and one of the key – one of the head producers that helped create the show, he you know, journaled and wrote about everybody. And I told him specifically, I go, hey, man, you know, I'm only going to make it a couple weeks, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go home, and I hope you guys are going to be disappointed. And he looked at me, and he goes, hey, man. It's your journey, buddy. Whatever you want to do, man. I, <laughs> right. I understand. Right. And he went back in the journal that's documented by, day by day, and he wrote back and he and he wrote that that I would make it to the end. Wow. And and he shared that with me after I made it. Oh you know? my and, gosh. And I remember, Dude. man. I um, God, it was really emotional because that was where yeah. I learned. You know, I uh, something that's, I learned out. Wow. I learned out. And people people who are involved in racing could relate to this, man. You know, Randy, I spent my entire life trying to make other people proud. Yeah. I, I spent my entire life having to, you know, no matter even if you made even if you had a huge victory, you know, some of the stress I was under, such as red being a Red Bull development driver, sure. I got to I got to win at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway during a Formula One weekend. Yeah. And the first question that was asked to me by my bosses were, Cool story, why didn't you win by more? you know, or, or <laughs> yeah. why didn't you do better? Right. You know, like, so, right. so, so I grew up in a world where, you know, no matter how good you thought you were, it wasn't good enough, That's you right. know, and, 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 okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool story, kid. You won this race, but you know, you didn't win the championship, you know, right. it right. was just never, you know, and I, and I just always sought after making other people proud all the way into my personal relationships, you know, with girlfriends, yeah. you name it. Like, are you proud yeah. of me? It wasn't until I went through that experience at 33 years old that I learned that I needed to be proud of myself, you know, yeah. and, and that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> You're 33 years old. No, no, man. I'm 36, unfortunately now, but when I did the show, oh, I was 33. Dude. You're yeah. 36 years old. That's not possible. I know I've, I've lived a life of maybe 60 years. I even look back at my <laughs> life and I'm like, how the hell, is, how have I done all these things? You know? <laughs> yeah. I, well, and I didn't, but, but looking at little Matt Jaskell back in the day, I can't I, I don't see you being 36 because that just makes me older than I realized I was. Oh, Hey, I didn't like when you announced it and you were like, yeah, I bet 20 years ago during the constructors cup, I was like, Oh man, making me feel old too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, Matt, I, I always like to end every podcast with this question. How has karting influenced your life and what does karting mean to you today? And you can spin it any way you want or expand on that any way you want. But obviously, karting is kind of the basis for everything we've talked about tonight. So just share with us what it, what karting means to you. You know, I um, karting truly, and, and the reason why I desperately still 
like to race carts today. I have raced almost every single Supernets that has ever existed since 1997. And, and if I'm not there, I'm broken, you know, a piece of me is missing. And I've only, I've only, I've only missed like three of them ever, ever Mm -hmm. out of, I'm actually like up there on the list of, you know, the most, you know, most Supernet starts Mm -hmm. and um, carting is such an important piece of my life because it is truly what molded me as a human being not as a driver okay nothing Mm -hmm. to do with racing it is truly what molded me as a human being it is what taught me professionalism it is what taught me class i mean as much as i learned that stuff from my my mother and father it is what made me who i am today it was such a and and i'm so lucky i almost feel guilty to have raced in what i think was the one of the best eras. And, and I think, I mean, I'm talking even current young drivers and mm-hmm. older drivers. Mm-hmm. I, I'm talking drivers that were racing in the seventies. They'll tell you that the nineties were some of the most yeah. influential in, in karting yeah. history because of the names that came out of that era. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so cart karting was just, yeah. you know, I was racing with the best of the best human beings, man, not drivers, yeah. just some of the best human beings on the planet. And the, and the people that I got to learn from, from Joe Ramos to Hollis Brown, to, to, to freaking legends like Gary Hartman and, and people like you, Randy, I mean, I swear to God, man, like I said, you were such a, you were such a big figure, you know, it's like you were, you were like the, 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 the France family of, of parting <laughs> to me, you know, like j- just you, your, your personality and your, your voice, you know, you were intimidating, but you were, <laughs> but you were loving. I mean, like you, people like you, when I raced, you know, you just, it was, it was bigger than me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was bigger than life. And, and I, and I actually, it was, it, carting made my life tough because I could not relate to normal human beings. Yeah. I, I considered me to, I considered carting people to be, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I considered us to be above, not like yeah. we were better. We just had a higher frequency. We were doing things that were just <laughs> right. more unique than, right. than other people, you know, and I could not relate to kids my age because they didn't realize the intensity and and the physical and the mental demand that carding had on on your and, life and preparation and, was, and, and dedication and oh commitment. my god the, yeah the, the, the dedicate i mean people will never realize the dedication that was involved yeah the commit the freaking commitment that was involved to be how, good to, how to, to re- be, and how to rebound from a really crappy weekend and prepare yourself to put it all behind you and move forward i mean that's it, it, Randy That's and not was tra- easy to do. And traumatic, man. When I say it, it oh, yeah. molded me as a human being, I watched people get, I watched, I, I watched a few drivers die. I watched a few drivers sure. almost die. You know, sure. I mean, it, it was, it was truly life or death. It wasn't yeah. a joke. You know, it wasn't just go-kart racing here. Let's have a good time. This was going to determine the outcome of your life no. potentially. It, you it know? was, it was at the utmost level and the, and the pressure was there, but I think the reward reflecting back on it, Matt, and you, know, you certainly turned out to be a, a fine young man, but the reward for that commitment and dedication was 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 uh, worth it as well, I believe. Yeah. And like I said, I literally had a, a feeling of guilt because I got to be a part <laughs> yeah. because I was I was I was lucky and privileged and, and had the opportunities given to me by by my family, by people from, by CRG, by mentors, by my yeah. engine builders and supporters and, yeah. and the, the series organizers and, and the Rob Howdens that got our names out there. And I mean, the TV broadcasts, it, I yeah. can never, I actually can never fully describe how important it was in my life and how I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't yeah. for karting, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. That's, 
That's well said, Matt. It really is. I, I, I do want to share with the listeners, aside from carding, you and I do have something else in common. We're COVID survivors. And that's, a, not, and that's not some little thing right now either. <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of a, that's kind of a big deal. I'm a, I'm probably 90% back. You're probably not 90% back. You're still, and I appreciate you doing oh, like the podcast fit. tonight. Yeah. You're still I'm only, struggling. I'm only, I'm only nine days in. Yeah. I'm about 60%, you know, normal yeah. capacity right now. And, and, yeah. and gosh, I got to say, it's taken some really important people in my life. It took Jim Pace, who was a really big name. He was my very first Skip Barber driving coach. He wow. was my very first Skip Barber instructor. He actually gave me one of my first bad calls in motorsports. You know, I was racing against Rafael Matos and Sebring and, and I won the race, but they gave me a penalty that I, that, you know, massively didn't agree with, of course. And so I butted heads with him, but I respected him. He was mm-hmm. a, you know, he was such a, a great freaking driver, man. And so well-respected and, and he passed last year, just in November of COVID at 59 oh, years geez. old. So again, not to, and not to say, you know, sad things, but you know, for all my, like my loved ones out there and, and all the way down to you, Randy, I'm, 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 I've been scared. I've been scared of, of losing friends to it, you yeah. know, and my own family. And so to hear that you've, you and your family have made it through the other side, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And, and, it's, uh, and, and I can tell you, and, and you'll, that. and you'll agree is it, it's not to be taken lightly by any means. I mean, this no. is, uh, it, although some people get a light dose, uh, the potential's there to be really sick and, and just, you know, you got to respect it. You know? Yeah. So for everybody out there, please, you know, it's not, it's not over, it's not over quite yet. And please take no. it seriously. You know, yeah. if, you, if you do get sick, take care of yourself. Don't take it lightly. I, I didn't, yeah. my father, my father, you know, heart attack survivor, 65 years old, he got it. And I'm very lucky that he made it through, but it was, it was bad. You know, he was, he was sure. down and out for two weeks, yeah. you know, and it was, um, yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, we are COVID survivors, which is amazing. We're 2020 survivors, which is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, well, listen, yeah. Matt, this, uh, I knew this was going to be fun, but I got to be honest with you, it was a lot more fun than I even thought it would be. And that's saying something because I was really looking forward to it. You got such a great story. I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Uh, any any uh, any parting comments before we wrap things up? No, you know what just came to my mind, Randy, is I just want to say I love you, man. Thank you. you <laughs> I you love you too, buddy. You, you've been, I love you've been you too. Important- to, to see you at the track, you know, when I got to see you, I think it was in like North Carolina or something like that. Uh, just yeah, in Indy, we were at the Brickyard last year. Yeah, we saw yeah, you. That's right. Yeah. The, and, yeah, and, the Brickyard. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and so just to, to reminisce and talk about yeah. you know, old times and, and just to still have you in my life, I am I'm truly grateful for that. Well, I'm thank you, Matt. I feel, I feel the same way. I uh, to, You said some awful nice things about our relationship years ago. And to, to think I had just a a teeny tiny little fraction of, of how your life grew means a lot to me, but uh, you're a fine young man. Uh, you know, keep moving forward. Don't look back and, uh, and keep doing cool stuff and, and good things will come your way. I'm sure. Thank you. And, and no, yeah, just, just always know you, you definitely had a, a big, in, a big important impact in my thank life and, and who I am today. So thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. Well, that, that wraps up another episode of racing with RK. We're glad to be back. I, couldn't have started off with a better guest than Matt Jaskell. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll have another uh, episode coming up here in the not too distant future. I've already got some people I'm talking to to have it lined up. I'm not ready to release it yet, but I'll send a teaser out there. But I will say they've got a tough act to follow after our evening with Matt Jaskell. Uh, folks, uh, just stay safe out there. Say a prayer for the firefighters and the policemen and the first responders. We still live in a crazy world, and hopefully we're going to get to some normalcy back to what we were used to. And remember, uh, you know, racers don't last forever. 
but racing memories do. This is Randy Kugler with my special guest, Matt Jaskel, signing off with Racing with RK. Thanks, everybody.